You're listening to Turn the Mic Around with Internews. Welcome to Turn the Mic Around, Internews' conversation series with journalists on the front lines. Every month we're interviewing a different journalist covering the most vexing issues in countries and communities around the world. I'm Jodie Ginsberg, CEO of Internews Europe, and my guest today is Frederick Mujira, a multiple award-winning journalist and head of Water Journalists Africa, a network of over 700 journalists in 50 African countries, and also co-founder of geojournalism mapping platform InfoNile. As we head towards the upcoming COP26 climate change conference in Glasgow here in the UK in a few weeks, I'm really delighted to welcome Frederick for what's an extremely timely look at the role of the media in reporting on the issue of our time. Welcome, Frederick. Thank you so much. So, for decades, the climate conversation has been framed as a bit of a debate with misinformation and bias science being used by powerful interests effectively to shirk environmental responsibility and deny the influence of human behavior on climate change. But with a marked increase in climate media and funding for environmental investigative journalism, underreported climate change impacts do seem to be coming more exposed. And of course, the picture it paints is one of a crisis that doesn't recognize borders and very much one that is felt close to our homes in floods, fires and drought. So Frederick, I really want to start by asking you, in what ways have climate journalists evolved to combat misinformation and bias science on climate change? Thank you so much uh, once again for having me. Uh, yeah, so uh, I just want to uh, straight away go to the answer for the question. Um, I strongly believe that uh, we've seen changes in uh, you know sourcing you know of uh, stories. You know, uh, we now see uh, uh, multi sourcing. Uh, you find that journalists now are multi sourcing, you not know, cross check because they think probably one, two or three sources are, are not enough. Maybe they don't have uh, facts that they, you know, um, uh, they would want to have. Or, or, yeah, so we see a lot of mad uh, sourcing now uh, in, in, by journalists, especially those who are focusing on climate change, you know, science reporting, and they want to have more uh, voices from uh, you know, experts, from scientists. Yeah, so to make sure that uh, they do not give us, uh, you know, half-baked information or information from one source, but rather, you know, cross-check, you know, to make sure uh, it is a rich story. Again, uh, you pointed it out well. Uh, we are we are seeing more uh, of uh, human, uh, you know, humanizing these stories. Eh? You know, making sure that they they give these stories a human face. Who is affected? Who are these guys that are in the story? You know, not just you know telling us something just happened, you know, but you know we see now more of voices from local people, those affected by you know you know uh, disasters, climate change disasters, so that then we hear it from the uh, affected communities, affected individuals, not from the uh, maybe a politician who would want to you know try you know try or give fake information or from, you know, the communications officer for a corporation for an NGO or something like that, that is targeting, you know, other um, uh, stuff. I like also the fact that we see more uh, uh, journalists using geo, you know, uh, journalism tools, eh? uh, you know, telling stories with data generated by, you know, 
uh, earth sciences. Uh, we, we are seeing a lot of you know, data visualizations. We are seeing you know, satellite imagery, for example, uh, one you know, use, making sure that you verify, you go ahead and get satellite imagery to show um, um, the impact of human activities on, on communities. On, you know, if, for example, you're telling a story, you want to show us, not just write texts. And we see a lot of you know, geojournalism uh, techniques, tools, that are being you know used by journalists, uh, and yeah, you know um, data visualizations, you know um, um, uh, done videos, you know, um, um, yeah, all that, uh, and these are actually are helping to kind of uh, uh, resurrect the story. It's Absolutely, not and so yeah, so yeah. so data sourcing. And the point that you make about humanizing, it, I think, is really key, right? Because for many people, climate change and its impacts have long felt like something far away. You know, you might think about polar bears and ice caps, but increasingly we're seeing the impacts that are happening on all of us right now. I'm really interested, given your network, what impact that you think community reporting in particular is having? Yeah, so then, uh, you know, community reporting helps to uh, bring, um, uh, I would say, uh, alternative content that you may not uh, uh, get, or that may not be available, you know, in, you know, in other media. Yeah, so then when you do community reporting, when you have community, you know, uh, best media houses, you know, they kind of give you the con alternative content that you may not find in, you know, in these other big media houses that are targeting profits. We are seeing a lot of changes now and um, you know, media houses, especially in, uh, in Africa, uh, shifting from uh, you know, uh, uh, ethics to profits. So then they are kind of targeting to make profits for, you know, for their shareholders and not care, you know, caring for the, uh, for the, uh, the audience, you know, the, uh, the listeners or readers, but now, with community-based uh, media, uh, you see a lot of alternative content that you may not, you know, uh, find in other in, uh, media uh, or, you, you know, yes. Can you maybe give us a, an example or two of the kinds of stories that have been generated from community media organizations in, in your field of reporting? Yeah, so uh, there are uh, stories that are down there uh, but don't usually appear in, uh, in, 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 in big media, you know. Well, I would give an example for, you know, farmers, you know, we have seen these stories, farmers waiting to plant, especially after the mid-year uh, drought in, in some parts of Uganda, and they never uh, get rains plant. So they, again, they have to wait for the rains. The rains may be now, rain is used to come in August. They are now coming in October. So these are stories that we find that are, uh, you know, uh, local stories that would not be told by, you know, by big media houses, you know, private media houses, but you are finding these ones in, you know, community media houses, because most of these target farmers, you know, rural-based communities, you know, yeah, yeah. That's, and presumably that's, when you start to put those together, they can add up to a, a full picture, right? So, so one report on its own, may not be alarming but when you start to add that together you might you might start to see a different kind of story right 
yeah you're right yeah so one 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 report you know about a, com a community you know and uh, how it has been affected or how uh, uh, what the effects of climate change on a, a, a one community may not be enough but it's very important to tell uh, you know bring these stories together or tell a big picture on uh, you know a region or uh, yeah or a country that's right I want to make sure that this is as interactive as possible. So if you do have questions for Frederick, please put them in the chat and we will come to you. I have a question before we go out to the chat though, Frederick, and that's really about the fact that often we talk about what governments need to do. Certainly in the run up to COP26, a lot of the reporting is very much focused on what governments need to do and the targets they need to meet or what we expect corporations to do. What one thing do you think climate journalists could do to improve coverage of this issue? Yeah, so um, I, I, I want to probably tell the, uh, the climate change journalist that wants, for example, to go and report you know, about climate change, uh, uh, COP26. COP uh, it is very important for a climate change journalist to go with uh, um, in mind or to report in mind uh, what the, the significance of their stories. It's not just important for us to write these stories, for example, or you know, to know how to write where the stories, you know, the you know, storytelling, but it's very important for us when we are going to write these stories or cover these functions to know the significance of the stories we are going to write. So in that, through that way, we know the impact of our stories even before we write them yeah so it's very important to have that in mind also uh it, i think the other way the other one is that you know we have had more than 20 years of the climate change story and uh, the story this the climate change story seems to be uh, kind of growing old and it may not attract you know readers and you know yeah but so we must have in mind as journalists to uh, you know try to defamiliarize this story right in, i mean by you know making uh famili familiar uh something making uh something that is familiar unfamiliar yeah so then i have in mind that it is important for us to know how we can uh, you know resurrect this story we can resurrect it through you know for example having um, like i told you uh, geojournalism tools in our stories uh, data visualizations, satellite imagery. If we have all these, then we will attract readers. We not only attract scientists, for example, to read our stories, we also attract the youth to read these stories, to view these stories because we are giving them videos and you know, stuff like that. Then it will help us achieve uh, this, uh, the, 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 I mean, no, the, achieve the aim of why you are writing these stories. Thank you so much. I hadn't thought of that before. And actually you're absolutely right that kind of making it fresh again for people because it does right. feel like old news, right? It feels like we've, you know, climate change, we've been talking about it, always feels a bit further away. Um, so it's not just make about making it immediate. It's about, and I hadn't thought about it. I think that's a great way of describing it. It's not just about making it immediate and personal. It's also making it unfamiliar again. So it feels new. I think that's, that's right. a, a great way of explaining it. Absolutely. Right. Before we go to the chat, and I do want to come if we've got time to talk about the, the kind of threats that environmental journalists face, because it is one of the areas of reporting where people are under perhaps greatest pressure, physical threats, 
judicial threats, online harassment and so on. But um, I feel like with climate, we're often on the negative side. So I really want to know what inspires you to do this work. Well, uh, at some time, there are several, uh, but uh, I, you know, at the beginning, for example, when I started writing, before I joined Climate Change, I would think of, you know, uh, writing to get my stories on first page, you know, uh, yeah, in, the, in my media house. But now I feel, you know, pursuing these stories and, you know, that can have impact on my communities. I will tell you an example. I, it's actually the same uh, example I gave you. Uh, in, in past, you know, in past years, yeah, when we, you know, uh, about ten years ago, my communities, you know, were good at growing millet. Uh, yeah, in my village, we were good at growing millet. You know, we take millet and uh, once a year, and this would come in 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 August. But now I see my communities are suffering. You know, but people are suffering. They are not able to grow millet. Rains are not coming at the right time. So when then. You find uh, farmers wait, waiting and forever when it comes, you know, you, it probably, you know, it, it uproots and destroys the, the garden. So then if I pursue uh, studies that have impact on my community, if I, for example, give my community right information to help them take right decisions, I, I, I feel very good. And, you know, I, I will give an example. So now, um, commun my communities and also local governments, for example, in Africa and in, you know, in Uganda, would, for example, take decisions about climate change with, they would be having wrong information that, you know, helps, that gives them, you know, that kind of taking wrong decisions. But right now, when I write stories and I see, you know, or ministries or local governments or, you know, uh, using my stories to, you know, uh, kind of uh, make policies, inform them to make, uh, you know, informed policies. I feel good. I feel good there. So then uh, we don't just rely on politicians and diplomats, but also on stories I write and I source these stories from scientists who have researched, who have got, uh, uh, you know, uh, data that you can help take good decisions. Eh? Thank it's you so such much. an amazing feeling. It's such an amazing feeling as a journalist when you can see that your work directly has a positive impact. I, I totally hear you. There's a great question from George here. I'm going to read it to you. And he says, how much of science do you need to understand for the ordinary person to appreciate the risks and threats posed by climate change? I feel I find the language and concept a bit inaccessible for someone even slightly educated like myself. And I, I'm totally with that. You know, I'm not as from a science background and sometimes the concepts and particularly when we start to talk about targets and um, some of the more technical language can be inaccessible how much do you as a journalist need to understand all of that well i i, I strongly believe you don't need a lot of science to know all this um it you know you need to know how to write good stories so then i, I would say probably i've gone through uh, uh basics of writing good story and then how to source them how to source them it's very important to you know uh, to know how to source them and then sourcing this info probably would be like you know interviewing researchers you know scientists and if you know how to interview a scientist you are likely to get the right information from him or her and then if you have that right information it would be easy for you to write you don't need to be uh, 
I need a scientist to go to the university to study science or you know, climate change to be a good storyteller you know, around climate change. But if you are a good interviewer, for example, you will be able to you know, get this story. And again, uh, we're writing about science, you know, climate change stories would need someone who would not you know, write in those jargons like you know, you know, scientists you know, use. If, if, if you are someone who does not know a lot of science, you are not bound to write all those jargons. You will find it and then interview or ask uh, a, a scientist what it means. Then you will present it to me uh, in, 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 uh, in, in, I mean, in the way that I can understand it, not the way that you know, scientists will understand it. Thank you so much. So presumably, and I, so the, the part about asking the difficult questions or the, the sort of questions about things you don't understand is, is, is I think quite a natural thing often for journalists. I think the thing that perhaps is difficult for many is trying to understand the data. You obviously work with a geojournalism project, you're working with a lot of data. Do you think that requires specialist knowledge? Uh, not really. For example, I, 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 all, all the, I use all these tools and you know, um, I'm not, uh, I'm, I, I never studied, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, all these geojournalists, but I have had a, a few trainings, you know, from uh, different scientists who are able to give me, you know, some skills, eh? one or two or three days, so I can, I'm, I'm able to use uh, satellite imagery, one or two days I'm able to, you know, to use uh, juxtaposing uh, uh, techniques to make sure that I, you know, tell stories, I'm able to do maps, for example, uh, yeah. So you don't need a lot of uh, uh, science. To you don't do. need three degrees. That, that's no, that's no. reassuring, no. I think, to many people. So I'm going to ask yeah. you another question. Um, Saha from Yemen. Saha says, uh, hang on, I've just lost the... Uh, Saha's question has just disappeared. Here we go. Uh, Saha says, they've been reporting on climate change in Yemen for two years, but still find it difficult to drive audience attention to the issue. How can they advocate and raise awareness uh, and the question is also what will COP26 bring for countries that are already in humanitarian crisis um, so how can you advocate and raise yeah. awareness when there's this sort of um, difficult to get audience attention on an issue yeah, I, I, I strongly have uh, I think I believe that I've already touched that uh, in my in, in some of the answers you know as I was answering your question but I, I have two points. One, the familiarization of the story. Make, make sure that you tell me, you give me the story in another form for me you know, to, to attract me. That's why I was telling you, you can use maps, for example. You can use satellite imagery and show us you know, from above in the skies, show us what is happening on the ground. That will attract me. That will attract a scientist. That will attract a youth. So they will be like, oh, I didn't know. So things have changed. I've seen journalists, for example, using these techniques to tell you know, solution journalism stories to show, you know, how communities are planting trees. You know, ten years ago, what was there? Nothing. So then you again use satellite imagery of what is there right now, and you see that you know these communities are now in two forests. It's a powerful way of telling these stories. So then it attracts us. You know, then. I also believe that you may need to uh, uh, tag your stories onto disasters because you know climate change disasters and and they make they, they kind of you know make news. 
So if you want to uh, tell me a climate change uh, story, maybe you can target to what has happened recently. Maybe it's, you know, floods and stuff like that, because these have just happened and have killed so many. And then if you tag your story onto floods, you'll be able now to attract readers because they'll be like, ah, I didn't know floods are related to climate change stuff. Yeah, yeah. And solutions journalism does seem to be picking up. It's interesting how we always used to talk about news as being really negative and bad news, but it sounds to me like from what you're saying, there is a, a room and an appetite to tell stories about positive things that are happening. So rather than talk about deforestation, you talk about tree planting. Are there examples from your own work where you've, where you've done that specifically? Yeah, 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 I do that. Right now I'm working on a story, for example, about a city in Uganda that is using uh, solar to light, you know, streets. Eh? And this has happened uh, for the last four years. So then I, I'm actually telling a photo, a, a photo story. So I want to show exactly how the city was uh, uh, 10 years ago. And I'm, I'm using satellite imagery to show if you, uh, that, that the city is called Mbarara. So if you look at, at the satellite imagery from Mbarara 10 years ago, it's, it's dark. But right now, the, the image now shows, uh, you know, lights, some kind of lights now. You are able to see lights on some streets. Yeah, and an indication that, you know, uh, solar has a kind of, you know, help, you know, as a renew, renewable energy. And you see now, see the city is kind of uh, using all this. But also, uh, because it is a photo uh, journalism story, um, I, I've gone to the streets and took photos of you know the 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 the, the, the panels and stuff like that. You know, people uh, and uh, mounting all this, and you know, it, it kind of you know gives hope. Yeah, it kind of gives hope. And there are so many other stories that have been you know uh, writing around uh, solutions journalism. Um, I want also to give an example that we've been working on a project in the, in the Nile Basin that focuses on how cities are mitigating and adapting you know, to climate change. And then we are telling stories of what cities are doing to adapt to climate change. For example, in Uganda, you find uh, uh, Kampara city uh, working on the highway, on the uh, highway, you know, Entebbe, Kampara Express, you know, to kind of decongest the city. Yeah, so uh, all of this certainly would help to um, reduce on the emissions because now cars on the street would take uh, a few minutes, uh, not like hours they would be in the, in the traffic jam, yeah. I've got one more question from the audience. So Checo says one thing that always struck them is when you ask relevant agencies and government about mitigation efforts and they often blame the fragile ecosystem of the country as an easy excuse for questions about mitigation. How do you counter those, I suppose, excuses for, for not taking action? How can you push back, I guess? Yeah, so it is, uh, it's, uh, our, our role as journalists to question those who should be in, you know, uh, taking action, those who, should be in, who are accountable to ask them questions. And then we present it to our readers that they have failed. It is very important for you to know uh, how to question, how to interview these people. If 
if they, I mean, don't give you information, if they you know, tell you come tomorrow, come the other day, and then fail to give you information, just present it to us as readers, because that's why that's what we are waiting for. You and you as a journalist, you are not there to you know, uh, you know, follow them to make sure they answer in the way they you want. No, but just present it to us and you know, let us. Uh, and but also, I strongly believe that there is always another source. Yeah, so if, if I come to you, for example, you are the ministry or you are the minister of water or something, and I ask you and you, you know, don't answer my question, I can approach another uh, minister who, or, you know, uh, I mean, is related to uh, you know, a story that I'm working on. It has happened to me several times, but, uh, you know, sometimes I ask the prime minister, the head of the ministers, and then, uh, if the, the prime minister is not able to answer, she will pick her phone and call the minister and ask the minister the exact question I've asked. And then the minister will answer through the prime minister. I will write my story. So it's very good, clearly, to have friends in high places, Frederick. Right. I'd That's like right. to flip that on, on the head for the, maybe the last question. There are very powerful, obviously, vested interests at work. Um, both for good and, and ill. Climate journalists and environmental journalists have been some of those most severely targeted in our media community. Mm. Are there ways that you think we can push back against that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big challenge. I am telling, I, I just want to give an example. For example, I have had uh, some threats to uh, as a journalist reporting on this things and you know someone comes and asks you you know the use of a gun you know stuff like that i, I mean then if, if 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 you are not if you kind of fear you'll back off and leave these stories but i think one it's very important for us as journalists to form networks to help each other yeah to help each other i mean sometimes you know you report in your group or you know a network I'm, I'm working on this story and i'm facing these challenges then you find someone there who can you know tell you what to do oh i mean you let someone work on this story if you think you are not able to work on it because of threats and you know stuff like that and you let someone work on this story but also i have seen in uganda uh, these networks usually help you know when you get challenges they're able to help you you know go to court if someone sues you or stuff like that then they, they can back you and maybe help you get a lawyer to support you i you know to uh, yeah so then uh, i mean these networks are uh, good in uganda for example we have uh, the editors guild and has helped so much it comes out you know when journalist is uh, you know imprisoned or questioned or you know or, you know stuff like that they come out and they are like no we will not back off with also, you know, take this case to court. Yeah. So then it's very important. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to agree. I think we have seen definitely over the past five to 10 years, the importance of that solidarity mm. and, and, I, and people speaking out on your behalf as well. And I imagine that's not just your own community, but having that international network as well. 
we're going to have to wrap it up there. I'm really sorry, Frederick, I could talk to you for hours, which is great because you understand you're coming to Glasgow. So I hope to have the opportunity to see you then. We're taking a, a huge team with the Earth Journalism Network to COP26 to bring you the stories from communities around the world and also from Glasgow. Frederick, thank you for joining us. That's it for this edition of Turn the Mic Around. You can learn more about Internews' work and our Earth Journalism Network's work supporting journalists around the world at internews.org. While you're there, you can follow us on social media or you can click the donate button. We can only do this work with all your support. Thank you. Thank you, Frederick, and thank you for listening. Everyone deserves trustworthy news and information. At Internews, we support independent media to create a safer and more informed world. For 40 years, Internews has been elevating local voices in more than 100 countries in the places that need information most. From radio stations in refugee camps to hyper-local news outlets, Internews is committed to amplifying underrepresented voices everywhere. We train journalists, tackle disinformation, organize digital rights activists, and offer expertise to help media outlets become financially sustainable. Empowering our partners to reach millions with quality local news that saves lives, delivers accurate information to communities in crisis, and holds power to account. Truth is an endangered species. Support the truth and those who report it.